You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. We wish to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississauga of the New Credit First Nations lands, which lands were previously occupied by the Seneca and Huron-Wendat First Nations. Welcome, all two dozen of you. <laughs> and especially, I, I do believe we have some guests. Special welcome to you uh, on this not quite so hot Sunday morning. Uh, I don't think it's necessary to go through all uh, the routine of my washrooms and all that stuff. However, do stay for lunch. Yes, you'll all have to take at least one salad home with you. That uh, looked, looked and it smelled wonderful. So... I don't have much taste left, but I, I can smell things, and it smelled great. Uh, anyway, here we are on the first Sunday in July. Finally, the heat arrived, and we all complained. Uh, where, where was it when we needed it the first of May? Grounded, Guided, Growing. A Time for Centering. From Scott Kearns. The song, Come Walk With Me, that we just sang, um, starts low and goes very high. And so I was watching, and those of you that like to sing low were very happy at the first part. And then you were mad at me at the second part, and vice versa. The best view I had was of Greta, who was mad at me at the first part, and happy with the second and when you have a piece with that wide a range, you have to plant it somewhere in the middle and make nobody happy. <laughs> Which leads me to the thought of the connectedness of our life, that we affect each other. I've, I've never seen that so strongly as, as um, and on a particular website I follow about the ocean, talking about the intricate, intricate connections of balance and someone spending their life researching a tiny speck of life and you would say why does that even matter and then you find out it connects to that which connects to that which connects to that and everything matters and that's the that's the, the ground we take here is that we're open to all the realities of life that's where we get our our facts from our knowledge from facing life head on like that and it's so burdensome and so wonderful and then we just keep asking I ask it all the time I'm asked by other people how do we live in that 
web, responsibly, caringly, compassionately, justly, and keep ourselves together in the, in, as we go. And that's why community is, is such an important part of the togetherness. And the question, how can I live lovingly, is only answered as you go sharing wisdom. And so, as I just introduced this song, we're just thinking of that again, and we do it all the time, but just together saying, how can I walk in this intricate, amazing web of life responsibly, caringly, compassionately? And how can I celebrate when others are doing that too? The first reading was written by Cassandra Clare, who was an American born in Tehran, spent most of her childhood traveling. She said, I don't want to be a man, said Jace. I want to be an angst-ridden teenager who can't confront his own inner demons and takes it out verbally on other people instead. Well, said Luke, you're doing a fantastic job. (laughs) The second reading, Italio Calvino, an Italian journalist. What he thought was always something lying ahead, and even if it was a matter of the past, It was a past that changed gradually as he advanced on his journey. Because the traveler's past changes according to the route he has followed. Not the immediate past, that is, to which each day that goes by adds a day, but the more remote past. Arriving at each new city, the traveler finds again a past of his that he did not know he had. The fullness of what you no longer are or no longer possess lies in wait for you in foreign, unpossessed places. And the third reading is by J.D. Salinger. The mark of the immature man as he wants to die nobly for a cause while the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. And what? <laughs> I, I've forgotten. Oh, yeah. Offered as wisdom for the journey. <laughs> I didn't write that down. My apologies. <laughs> that's that's what old age does for you. You forget your own name. Well, if when I'm in my hundredth year, I remember everything. It'll be a miracle. Well, you've got a lot more to remember than I'll ever have. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I'm your age. Thank you for reading. Focused Moments from Greta Bosper. Because I was making all those salads that you're going to take home with you after the service, um, I found a focused moment that I had written uh, and you heard back in 2013, and I share it with you now.
There it was, the bright little packet of seeds. Its shiny folded paper sealed around a dozen or so whorls of sunshine timed to burst into beauty in the waning days of summer peeked out from between the pages of my gardening notebook. My brain had been orderly months before when I placed it carefully there, but I'd lost the tendrils that tied me to its tidiness and searched for what seemed like hours to find the precious dormant cash. When do flowers begin? Is it when buds open to bloom? Or when those buds are merely bumps along the stem? Do flowers begin when the first tips of tender shoots win their struggle against damp and heavy soil, breaking their way into the light of day? Is it when the seed first bursts beyond its safe encasing deep in the darkness of the earth? Or when those seeds first find themselves tossed upon fertile soil? Do flowers begin when seeds fall from spoiled and dying blossoms? I do not know. There is wonder in this little packet of seeds, wonder that will turn to beauty and spin itself into that cycle, beginnings and endings lost to the naked eye. For these flowers, beginning lay in my first effort to find them, before they were just dust in an envelope. Now they are dreams. I'm going to have to stay here today because I don't have anything I could clip my mic on and I need papers and a mic so here I am so the first thing I want to ask you is how many of you and how many of you feel like you're grown up a grown up Uh, I know some people laughed and didn't put their hands up anyway Uh, but I'm thinking maybe you're questioning that. Okay. Um, the person that, uh, Cassandra, who wrote that first piece that, that Jean read, um, she grew up all over the world. Uh, her parents took her uh, as a child. She, she was, they lived in different places, and she says she saw one whole country, Switzerland or something like that, um, only from the backpack of her father. That's all she experienced of it, was she was traveling all the time. Uh, and she wrote uh, for uh, Hollywood um, when she was a young adult. 
uh, writing things that would be reported from Hollywood, like uh, she says on her website, like wardrobe malfunctions, when she's writing about Britney Spears and uh, choosing uh, to share gossip and things like that. And when she was writing that, I kind of think that the people who who write that kind of stuff must have still that little sense of, you know, I just want to pretend I'm a teenager and do whatever I want, you know, have these emotional meltdowns and put them on paper and put them out there. People read them. Uh, Why not? But eventually, she got a little tired of that and decided that she wanted to write uh, young people's fiction. That she wanted to write fiction for them that would place in front of them some of the values that she had learned were so essential in her tramping around the globe as a young child and as she grew up. And so she, um, so she wrote, uh, she's written a number of series of novels, uh, and she says that um, she hopes never to have to write about uh, stars and idols again. Which is kind of that progression that most of us go through uh, when we are becoming adults. We start with the dreams uh, as when we were children. I told you I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. That's kind of a lie. Uh, I didn't decide that till I was, you know, maybe 14. Before that, I wanted to be a ballerina. Yeah, and when I was 14, my body was starting to shape out the way my body shaped out, and the ballerina thing was definitely off the table. So I went for the nuclear physicist. I mean, that's an obvious choice, right? Um, but then you start thinking about it, and, and you it's like everything. Uh, whenever something is happening to you, you see stuff about it all over the place, like the magazines would be about physics, and then there'd be a newspaper article about nuclear uh, energy, and, you know, all that kind of stuff seems to come to you uh, in waves, whereas before it was never out there. You just brought it all to light because you happened to have made a decision, right? Uh, Unfortunately, calculus wasn't one of those things that was waving, hello, calculus, need calculus. Nope, didn't happen. Um, but once you once you start seeing all those things, you generally uh, pad your little nest with them and decide, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And we and then we we put ourselves in the situation where we can learn the skill that we want to spend our lives doing. That we can uh, be be mentored by someone who actually knows how to write something or who knows how to fix or find a leak in someone's home that they have no idea where it's coming from, but somebody knows how to figure that out. And so you spend time with them if that's what you want to do with your life. You spend time brushing yourself up against the genius of the the tradition into which you want to uh, spend your adult days moving through them. Um, So how many of you have children who are grown-ups? Oh, you have children who are grown-ups, but you aren't sure you're grown-up yourself. Okay, I'll run with that. Um, I used to have a, I used to have a, a cartoon, not a cartoon, an ad for something on my uh, bulletin board when this was still my office, and that was many, many years ago. And I don't know what the ad was for because it wasn't the ad I was interested in. The stuff sometimes great ads forget to actually put the product in the ad, so you remember the ad. You don't know what it's for. But it said, uh, you, don't, you don't stop playing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop playing, right? So we tend to, and when we think about it, that's, that's when we think maturity has hit our children, when they stop playing, right? When they play together all the time, they're still kids. But when they stop playing together, well, you know, 
they're too big for that kind of stuff. Mom, put the croconole away. Like, I don't play croconole anymore, uh, much less, you know, Monopoly or something. I don't play those things. So that's when they tend to see themselves as grown up. And in our generation, that's when we probably started thinking we were grown up. You know, Scott tells a story about one of his children. Um, one of the family's friends was coming over and a, and a daughter who was just slightly older than uh, one of his kids. Uh, but they played together all the time when they were together. When she was about uh, 11 and, and um, 10 or 11, and the other child was just a little bit older than that, uh, she was so excited because they were coming to the house to play. Uh, and she ran up to her and said, let's go upstairs and play Barbies. And the girl looked at her like, I have never played Barbies in my life. Kind of broke the child's heart right there by not saying anything, just kind of, I don't do that anymore. And so we're, we're sensitive to when our children lose that precious time when play is so much a part of their life and they're exploring the world uh, in incredible ways. We've only recently come to understand that children up to the age of seven are really processing things using a theta brainwave, which is kind of like, uh, which is what people get into when they're using hypnosis. And, and they... They're not quite sure why that is, but it's probably that gathering of that extraordinary, vast quantity of knowledge that needs to get into them. So they're taking that all in, and maybe it's when that theta starts to slow down and you don't see the wonder of the world quite so much anymore that that process uh, starts uh, in a very small way and then begins growing. But before uh, Scott, my husband, outs me on this, uh, the truth is that even when we get to be adults, we still want to have some of the privileges of adolescence, and that's the reading that Jean uh, first shared. I don't want to be grown up. I want to be an angst-ridden teenager who can't confront her own inner demons and wants to take it up verbally on other people instead. Okay, how many of you will own up to feeling that way periodically? Okie dokie, that's right. We do long for that time of, of no responsibility. Is irresponsibility a word? No, but that would be a good one to coin for that. The irresponsibility of just being the emotional mess that I am. And if you guys can't cope with it, that's got something to do with you and nothing to do with me. Right? It takes a long time for us to become an un-teenager, for us to get beyond that space where our emotions are ruling our relationships uh, and ruling the world as we see it because we see everything through that emotional filter. The second reading um, shifts the idea of uh, the knowledge and places of things uh, in our lives and how we change uh, throughout them, how our understandings change. And it's the novel from uh, Italian journalist and writer Italo Calvino. Uh, He died in 1968, 1985, sorry, 1985. And when he died, he was the most translated into English author uh, in the world. Uh, And so I'm going to definitely pick up some of his books. But what he says uh, in this reading is that Everything we bring with us shifts and changes a little bit. So I want you to go back, and is there something in your, in your childhood that when you went back to it, you saw it completely differently? Um, it became something different. You had shifted and changed, so the way you perceived it was something different. A place, maybe, or a thing. I use as my, um, as my coffee table in the family room, 
what used to be the play box, play the toy box for uh, me and my three siblings. It contained all our toys except that book that came out of the cupboard when it was raining and my mom would open it and it would have some really fun thing to do in it. But the size of the table, uh, which was the box, is this. And it contained all the toys we had, except for the ones we slept with, right? But all the toys we had as children were in that box. And now it takes entire basements to put children's toys in there. But when I came back to that box, uh, I didn't have it for many years. Uh, and then it came back to me. And it was, it was held with such reverence because of the stories that were within it. But it also held a lot of pain because of some of the stories about it being made and how, um, how cruel my father had been to my mom when she had painted it. Um, so I looked at it not from just the let's go play uh, or from the wow that has memories, but from the point of understanding uh, what it feels like to be ridiculed by someone. Uh, to be put down by someone who's supposed to protect you and love you. Uh, and that experience had become my experience as well during that course of that time. So now it's just a place where I keep my files and do my work and put my feet up. Um, but I, when I went back to it, it was different. So is there anything, any place that is different for you than it was before? That doesn't have to be profound. Did any of you have a hill that you used to ride your bike down and it was like screechingly fast? Have you gone back and taken a look? And how big is the slope? You know, it's about like this maybe, right? You know, with those backwards, you know, brakes that weren't as probably best to have them than these ones going down those hills. But we grow up. Uh, we grow up and we, and we shift and change. And that's what Calvaro is saying is that you can't, you can't uh, not change as you move into the future. As you come to new understandings of things, uh, you move into that future. In a, you're a new person because your past has ratcheted something else into place. It's different now. It's not what it was before. I now understand something about the big city, uh, never having lived in it before. Now, now my fear of it that I had as a child is no longer a fear. Or now my understanding of my relationship with my siblings is different because I can see them from a distance. Or that person I married previously the further away you get from somebody you've been married to previously, the more you're kind of, who was I back then? I don't know. You really start thinking that the stories maybe that we tell ourselves right now, in this second, aren't maybe the whole of the story. That there may be much more that needs to be told. That what it is that we are is, again, just a collection of ideas that as we move forward, will shift and morph and I'll be another person later on. So what, what I wanted to talk to you about today, that's all prelude, of course. What I wanted to talk to you today about was about the future and how the future is hidden from us, but it's also, in a way, in plain sight. That the future, what we are going to be like and what our world is going to be like and who we're going to be in relationship with and how we're going to take on uh, major challenges. Are they going to overwhelm us or are we going to be able to work through them? We have ideas in our heads about who we are. 
And we expect that we're going to take who we are and we're going to go into the future and that's who we're going to be, right? We're going to be those people. And we make the mistake that Calvero is telling us not to make because that next day is going to be something else too. It's going to be a little bit different and things are going to shift and change. So the future that's hidden, I like to think of it as hidden, uh, is the one that's in plain sight right now, even though we are going to be different people in that future. And the reason I say that, excuse me, the reason I say that is that most of our future, most of our future, is written out of who we are now and what we are doing and where we are and the things that we can see and the people that we have relationships with and the way that we interact with the world. The future, when I say it's mostly about that, is because we make choices based on the nest we are currently in. And that's the nest of the friends and the relations. It's the nest of the community. It's the nest of our own understandings of ourselves. All of that takes us into our future. So if we are isolating ourselves from others, uh, if we have cut off contact with particular people, if we are overindulging in substances or even food as a substance, if we are living uh, in a slovenly hovel because we couldn't bother cleaning it up or we're living in a pristine, scarcely furnished uh, home that can be kept model home looking uh, day after day after day, if we're working someplace that we're happy with or we're in a space or we're downsizing as we've retired, uh, our future comes out of all of that because it's how we choose to relate to those things or not and how we choose to design our own being in relation to those things or not. So while I say that in, in the future you're going to be different than you are now, the future comes about unless there's some inbreaking of chaos that we're not ready for, an illness, unexpected illness, a trauma. Uh, if we move from here to a year from now, we can pretty much chart our way based on the choices that we want to make and the people that we're going to have in our nest with us and how we're going to be with those people. If I've historically been angry and upset and uh, always blaming everything that's going on around me, it's very unlikely that I'm going to see what Jean uh, brings to my heart and feel it as something that can actually uh, help me move away from that anger and that blame. If I'm constantly finding that the relationships around me are so complex they're overwhelming, um, then I don't take the time to work them all out or figure them all out, but I can take the time to rest and look back and make a decision to choose not to have those overwhelming relationships, that I can maybe focus on one or two that aren't overwhelming. If I think I'm overdone or uh, I overtalk or I'm, I'm demonstrative in a way that is troubling to people, that's in plain sight. It's not hard for me to see that. It's in, it's in front, it's on the faces of everyone around me. And I can choose to see that or not. My future could be easier, my friendships more uh, casual, more comfortable, if I chose to see what it was that was in the faces of those before us. The people that we are are the people that we are also becoming 
And it's starting with the who we are now and going forward that makes the difference. That final, um, final reading that, uh, that Jean shared with you is by J.D. Salinger, um, best known for The Catcher in the Rye, uh, much better in writing than the movie, which traumatized me for years. Um, the mark of the immature person is that they want to die nobly for a cause. The, the person who is not yet mature wants something grand so that they will be remembered uh, because they've died nobly for some cause. And that's a story that governments use over and over and over again. That's a perspective that governments use to take advantage of people sometimes um, and to lull them into a cause that may not have been theirs if they actually knew what it was. But, I, but the immature person wants to die nobly for the cause. Well, the mark of the immature person is that they want to live humbly for one. And so that's the you I'm inviting you to see in your life right now. The future that you can see coming down the road. There are people, there are places, there are feelings, there are opportunities, there are stories, there are news items, there are uh, chance events, there are uh, choreographed introductions that will take you from now to whatever your future is, to that place where you know that you are living humbly for a cause, my cause, is my cause, yours is yours, your cause is your cause, yours is another one. We, all, we can all find our own cause. And then when we know what that might be, we live humbly in relationship to it. We're not out there saying, okay, now I've got Truckers uh, United, we're going we're gonna to beat the CIW uniform anymore. Truckers United is going to make a new union and I'm going to be the person to make it. Is not actually living humbly, Right? It's about doing the work that needs to be done to make that happen. It's about being a teacher in a school whose environment is not what you'd like it to be, and you know that children's hearts are being bruised as a result of that. And so you day by day by day, you make the choice of speaking with the people who may influence the change. You make the choice of being with the parents who you know feel uh, their hearts are aligned with yours. You humbly invite people to see what it is you see until ultimately that school is transformed. Um, we haven't just thrown up our hands and said, well, I can't do anything. It's about humbly living for a cause that meets your heart. Which is why I picked the focus moment that I picked. Somewhere in our cache of who we are, in that collection of things that make us up, in that big house uh, where I couldn't find the little packet of seeds, that little packet of seeds is lying within you. It's there. And you might have to look for ages to find it. I'm pretty sure a lot of you have put your fingers on that packet of seeds a long time ago. And you've been living out what it has called you to do once it became that dream in your hand once it became that cause for which you wanted to live. I'm pretty sure that some of you have that right in your back pocket. You know exactly where it is, you know exactly where you're going, you know exactly how to do what it is you want to do. But some of us are still kind of looking for that. We're trying to find what it is. 
We're still looking for the packet of seeds. So keep looking. Don't stop wherever it is you are. But keep looking because it's there. It's not in your back pocket. It may not even be inside you at all. It may be in the face of somebody you look at and a conversation that you have. And then suddenly you know that that dream is there and you can make the choice to make it real. Thank you. just as I was coming, I, I realized when you take that image beyond our own personal lives, this world has so many packets of seeds in it. It's mind-boggling. All the possibilities for the future, all the opportunities, all the chance things that will turn things in another direction, it's infinite. And the relationships that we make with one another may be those things that trigger a reflection on, wait, this is it. This is where I am. This is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. So go out into that world that is so packed with those little bags of seeds and find someone with whom you might water them, who may inspire you to live on your own doing that work, but align yourself with the beauty that is the potential for who we are and what this world can be. Go from here in peace.